Well, hey, everyone, I'm Casey Hughes, and I'm your host of SpireCast, where we're bringing you conversations that help you thrive in ministry. And we want to welcome you back to a two-part conversation talking with Dave Stone and Kyle Eidelman about healthy pastoral succession. If you missed it, highly recommend you go back to part one to listen to that. But for 30 years, Dave preached and served at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And during his last 13 years, he was the senior pastor. In 2019, Dave passed the baton of senior pastor to Kyle Eidelman, where Kyle has preached and served at Southeast since 2002. Welcome back, Dave and Kyle. Good to be back. Thank you. Thanks for having us again. Of course. I am really excited. I loved what we talked about in part one. Um, really, really practical stuff. We had tons of people texting questions. We have some more of their questions now, but really the questions are focused on life after the transition took place. So uh, you left us on a bit of a cliffhanger, Kyle, with part one. Uh, so although we're going to be digging in uh, to, to life after succession, we want to know what did you guys do wrong and what would you do differently? That's probably a more uh, uh, positive way to put that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think what we did right covers a multitude of sins, right? I think it covers a multitude of mistakes. And that is um, our relationship was healthy and protected and genuine, you know, my love for him, his love for me, the fact that I wanted nothing more than, you know, to honor him and, and to celebrate him. And he wanted nothing more than for um, me to be successful and set up well, like that goes a long way. Like you can get a lot of things wrong, but if you get that right, it makes a big difference. That being said, uh, <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, I was um, visiting with some folks about our transition and transition plan, and they wanted to see our transition plan. I don't think I've told you this. They wanted to see our transition plan. They wanted to look at it, right? Because they assumed that it was going to be typed up and, you know, look nice, a formal presentation. Um, and so I, I'm sitting in this room and I open up my computer and I'm typing into the search bar transition plan knowing there's not going to be anything there <laughs> like, but but i'm you know i'm buying some time just can't find the and I couldn't, I couldn't, it's in here somewhere um and i typed in transition plan and what pops up is a plan with you and uh, you and bob a, a plan of you know different things that were going to be done and um and i realized in in that um conversation that we transitioned personally well but there were a lot of things that we didn't like we didn't transition um budget we didn't transition transition uh staff uh we didn't transition um elders not i don't i wasn't looking for that and i'd been an elder for a long time as an example i'd been a part as mentioned of hiring the staff so i don't think it, that felt as, as necessary to us but i would say the exercise of going through that would have been really helpful where it's not just trans it's all the other things that inevitably get transitioned um in the you know first year or two that um it, you can save yourself a lot of trouble if you you do that going into it the way i i talk about this is if you have a like a head football coach that that comes in as the offensive coordinator um, he knows the offense, likes the offense. That's all helpful. But when that offensive coordinator becomes a head coach, he really needs the opportunity to um, maybe change the offense, maybe 
you know, have a different quarterback, maybe bring in a different defensive coordinator. I mean, you, I, most any coach would say, even if all those roles were done by, you know, effective position players and coaches, they still would want to transition some things to make it their own. That happened after the transition. I felt very supported in that. And, uh, but I think we could have had some of those conversations beforehand and it it would have helped and um and and to be honest a lot of that probably should have come from me um and had i done that it would have been well received i just underestimated the, that dynamic coming into it and i i would add um you know our our relationship is what it appears to be and so we didn't put anything in writing we didn't really talk about changeover. It was more just conversations that we had. It really wasn't a written plan, but I guess I would, I would just say, this is what I tell other churches that I, uh, that I talk with about transition is to put things down in writing because even great situations uh, can turn sour and things can change on the, on the dime uh, at a church, you know, in the next year, the next two years, you know, anytime. So I do think it would have been healthier had I, and I should have taken the lead on that, on the um, putting things in writing and even tried to ask questions like, you know, how can I set you up? What, what are things I can do to you did, you did make, you make, make, those it, questions. make it easier? But um, yeah, there's I know there's more that I could have done in, in the way you just mentioned. You know, the um, I, I think the chairman of the elders or whatever position might, maybe it's somebody from the outside that comes in um, to sit down with the senior pastor and the, you know, incoming senior pastor. I, I think having someone to navigate those discussions is, would be very worthwhile. Um, you, you know, it's very difficult to be objective for either one of us. And then I think if anything, I really do think this is true, Casey, if anything, we probably aired too much on looking out for each other. I, I, I really think that's probably accurate. Um, I, I think, you know, Dave was probably more careful than he needed to be. And I think I was probably more sensitive than I needed to be. And having somebody, a third person, just come in and help push us a little bit, help navigate some of those conversations, um, I think that would be helpful in most most situations. I'll say that I, I had a huge... Uh, advantage in that he had sat in this seat. Uh, you know, he, he had already been transitioned to. And so that it may, it, yeah, he was always very aware and empathetic to the position or the challenges that I would have in, in this role. Yeah, he's probably more, he was more aware of it than I was aware of it, honestly. And so that, that's a, that is a huge advantage that he didn't have. Right. Um, but having had gone through that himself goes a long way. We did get quite a few questions um, asking about involving a consultant. In hindsight, would you say that maybe that would have been helpful to bring someone in? Or what are maybe some of the pros and cons you would say to bringing in a consultant? Well, since I do consulting, I might have to <laughs> make certain that you answer this question. Let me get some money out of my wallet here for you. <laughs> yeah, I do think it would would be very helpful. I mean, there's not much of a downside to it. And um, for most situations, it would be helpful in a way that would be different than it was, would have been for us. Meaning that 
if you had a consultant come in and help us, we, I mean, we had a lot of things down because of our relationship and how long we'd been doing it together. So a consultant would have come in and probably in a, in a very similar way that a, a, a marriage counselor would come in and talk to a couple who'd been married 20 years, love each other, but there's just things they, you know, in that sense. But if, if a consultant comes in, especially when there's not been that kind of relationship uh, bridge built, um, I, I think it's really important that there be clarity, um, that expectations are understood. Um, I can tell you from the limited amount of consulting that I've done on this is, um, you know, the, the, no matter how objective the outcoming guy thinks he is and the incoming guy mm -hmm. thinks he is, there are things that are very difficult for them to see. Yeah. And that's, that would have been true for us too. And so having someone come in and say, Hey, let me push you a little bit on this, or let's have this conversation. Even if it, even if you don't think it's necessary, let's go ahead and, and have this conversation. I think, I think it goes a long way. I would add that uh, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, I, I think that if you do get a consultant, then they have to understand the size of your church and what the dynamics of, of that. Are. I don't think I would be a really good consultant for a, a really small church. I just don't think I, because I, I haven't spent, much time in that at all. And, and it was years and years ago. It was 35 years ago. So I think you have to understand the dynamics. The other thing is you also have to understand the DNA. I've seen some consultants come in and they try to use a cookie cutter uh, system and do the same way everywhere they go. And here's, here's the checklist. And checklists are great, but you have to understand every church is different and every church is wired differently. And so, um, I think there's more pros than there are cons. And I do think that you get the more objective third-party look when you bring someone in from the outside. And that person can help to bridge that gap because I can think of times in the last few years where I've had to say to the outgoing person, hey, you, you need to, in your last few months, you really need to be saying things because the other guy had been saying to me, you know, oh, they're, they're really not affirming me. And... Yeah. Uh, so I saw Bob Russell do that with me. It was very natural for me to, uh, to do with Kyle. And yet some people wouldn't think to do that. Mm -hmm. By the same token, the incoming person needs to see that role as honoring and appreciating so that it's not like we're putting this person out to pasture, goodbye, good riddance, but instead we're building on the foundation that they laid. Yeah. One of the, one of the things I would encourage people to do in, in this role is um, is to understand that sometimes it's not you, it's what happens in the room mm. because of you, right? Like, so Dave understood this and gave me space. Um, and, and I know that he could have been in the room. He could have stayed really active after the transition. He, I know he, I wouldn't, that wouldn't have bothered me personally. I, I know he would have been supportive, encouraging and all of those things, but the problem would it wouldn't have been him. It would have been everyone else in the room with him. And there's nothing you can do about that as the outgoing pastor. Like there's, there's nothing you can do about it. And so you can say, Hey, it's different for me. And, but, but it's not different for the people around you. And, uh, and, and so, you know, him giving some of that space, um, right after the transition, um, 
help. And by the way, I knew he was going to do that. So it made it easy for me to say, no, man, don't. We want to well, come, keep coming every week. I knew he wouldn't. I knew he would. You, you didn't mean it when you said <laughs> I did mean it. I cried. I'm, I'm, I teared <laughs> up. <laughs> Shocking. Don't tell Beth. Don't tell Beth. Oh, my gosh. No, that's real. That's um, that's really helpful. And I'm sure, Dave, I mean, this is such a sacrificial thing, right? I mean, you are doing your best to set Kyle up well. But there was a lot I'm sure you were experiencing as you were stepping out. Can you talk a little bit about just what that adjustment has been like mm. for you and for your family? Because your family was plugged into this church for all these years, too. Yeah, so it's... It's, it's very different. Um, I think men struggle with finding our significance through what we do, our profession. And so to be at the same place for 30 years and to be a guy who's a workaholic who loves to be here, I just love, I love to be here. Uh, it, was a, it was a real change for me. Um, and so fortunately, God brought me other things. And I think he does that with people. I think he can give a season of refreshment. I think there needs to be that season of separation. I think that should be a constant with any outgoing person. Let this, let that new person uh, not have to be looking over their shoulder for those first few months, whether that's three months, six months, 12 months, I don't know, different in every case. But um, you said something in your question, Casey, and you're very perceptive. You do, you do great on these things, but what I wanna call out is you, you said uh, in your family, the most overlooked person in pastoral succession is the wife of the pastor. Yeah. And um, my wife had never even worked on staff here. My wife had been on stage two times in 30 years. One time she prayed on a Thanksgiving on a Wednesday night. Wow. You came okay. Yeah. Because she couldn't say no to the pastor that asked her, the minister that asked her. And the second time was on our last, our last mm -hmm. weekend. And uh, so she's not an upfront person. Yeah. But uh, she's involved in this church. And Kyle was really cool. Um, I did make that break away. But there was a few times where in those first few months where I was out of town and, you know, Beth came over to worship. And uh, one time she called me up. I don't know if you know this. She called me up from the car and said, I got in the stairwell. Mm. And I was walking down the stairwell. Mm. And I just, she said, I just burst into tears. And so that gives you some idea of how that spouse is so much mm -hmm. a part of your ministry. And what the, the outgoing person gets is they get to breathe because now I don't have that stress. Right. But that pastor's wife has been that ministry partner for all those years. And there's a sense of loss for them, too. So I always encourage churches to make certain that you, you know, honor that wife. And they did a great job of doing that. But uh, keep that on your radar screen. When I talk to churches, I say, okay, which elders are going to be checking up on the wife uh, one month later, two months later, That's three good. months later? It's good. You want a sign of a healthy transition. Um, I think last week or two weeks ago, um, I was talking to Dave and he's and uh, he was at church, and um, I asked where Beth was, and Beth was serving in children's ministry. And so, listen, when you walk in four years later, and the former senior pastor's wife is 
volunteering children's ministry. That's really sweet. I mean, I, I love that. She's amazing. Yes, I don't, uh, I can totally see her doing that. And so I, we've gotten questions too about, you know, what life is like if, if the senior pastor wants to stick around, wants to continue going to the church. And so, uh, Dave, are you and Beth still attending Southeast and how has that dynamic been? Well, he you has want me to leave. I can step out. I need. <laughs> this is the first time we've talked to each other. We haven't been on speaking terms for years. So. Or sermons and uh, give him feedback afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> he he did make this impassioned appeal for me to come back the next and i week. did mean it yeah well you knew i was gone i didn't know you were gone you goofball so uh uh but it was heartfelt and he has always made me feel welcome here and um you know i i am a big believer in that separation and that break and uh i tell i tell people all the time that's there's different ways that as the outgoing successor, you can, you can support that person who is, is finished or is, is taking over your spot. And I think there's several different ways. Uh, one of them is to make certain that you are constantly and continually encouraging them um, through text message, through voicemails. I uh, listen to your sermon. I think that's really important, especially in that first year or two. Uh, another, the second way is to make certain that you do stay away. Um, you say you're going to stay away, stay away. Um, we have agreements, you know, Bob and I, Bob asked me, he said, can I still do funerals? I, mean, I hadn't thought about that. I said, dude, you do as many funerals as you want to do. We'd love to have you do funerals, but work some of those things out ahead of time. And, uh, that's why I say maybe put some of those things in, in writing. Thirdly, uh, speak positively, decide you're going to speak positively. Uh, that's the only thing publicly and privately. I'm going to speak positively about him. Fourthly, I'm not going to be a, a negative sounding board. So the person who comes up who is 10 years older than me and doesn't like the fact that, uh, you know, there's been changes since I left. I don't even know what it would be, but we've had changes. Um, he knows. He knows. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have time to go through the list. We don't. It's only a half hour show. So uh, but they they say those things. If, if I if I give them a hearing. And if I give them the time of day on that and they get into their second minute of that, then that's terrible. I, I have I have failed him as a friend and also as the person that I've set up for success. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is uh, only give feedback when you're asked. So um, one of the tough things well, I, I made the mistake of not asking for feedback from Bob Russell as much after he left. Well, he'd been here for 40 years. I thought I knew hmm. what he was thinking most of the time, but he still needed to be asked that. And I needed to ask that because I needed confirmation or to have my ways changed on something. But um, so I, I, I think I blew it on that in, in the first transition between Bob and me um, because I should have been regularly asking and, and checking in. Uh, the other thing with, with that, and when, when you talk about um, making certain that you only give feedback if you're asked, is I had 30 years to lead. You know, I, I, you know how you're in evaluation mode every time you go to any worship service because you're a preacher? Yeah. And now every service you sit, you know, I could, I could say something every week 
that I say, well, you know, that door's squeaking up around third floor or this or that. Uh, 316, by the way, is the section. Got it. Uh, but, uh, you know, when they open that door. But I, I could say that. But you know what? When I was a senior pastor, I would have a list of things like that. But I don't, I don't need to worry on that. I, I had my chance. I'll give you an example. One time uh, about a year or so ago, uh, one of the video monitors, one of the video screens during worship went on the fritz. I never told you this. Just, you know, started pulsating. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't, I don't know if they're aware of this in the tech room. And, you know, I'm, I'm fidgeting. I'm doing all this. My son, <laughs> Sam, is three people down in the row. He leans out and he says to me, it's not your problem. <laughs> he said, you don't need to worry about it. Somebody else will take care of it. And sure enough, mm -hmm. they took care of it. They rebooted the system and got it right back. But there's things you want to weigh in on still. And I have to tell myself, I had my chance. Things are going great. Let's just keep going in that direction and, and keep your mouth shut. One of the things I appreciated, Casey, was I felt like his availability to me was always um, there, but not... Uh, presumed, if that makes sense. Like he would encourage me, check in on me. But when he would do that, it uh, it was often in a more personal way, right? Like during COVID, it wasn't about um, the pragmatic decisions that had to be made, but it was to check on me. Um, and and that, that meant a lot to me. I, I think over these last number of years when I, you know, even before we came in here, I was running through a sermon series with him, asking him about titles and what do you think about this? And um, but over these last few years, I have most appreciated being able to go and talk to him when I felt overwhelmed, alone, um, you know, um, just a little insecure about a decision. Like it, those are the moments where having him um, being available has really probably meant the most to me. I'm mean, one of the most encouraging things uh, for my wife and I was just going over to their house for dinner and just sitting on the back porch and, you know, mm -hmm. saying, Hey, here's some, some of the hard stuff right now. And knowing that he knows what that's like, um, that, that goes a long way. I was, uh, I was being asked about, um, some of the challenges of, of, um, COVID towards the end of it. And I say, what was the hardest thing about it for you? And, and I instinctively just said the first thing that came to my mind, you know, the, the first thing that came to my mind was, that he wasn't there, you know, doing, having that kind of, you know, being able to do things and face those kinds of things together. And, and I, uh, you know, I really missed him during that time on a relational level. And I, I think that that's, you know, I think that's, it can't always work out that way. Um, but to me, that's very healthy. Yeah. Well, Dave, you had said in uh, part one that when, when Bob had handed things over to you, that first year was really difficult for you. And so, Kyle, I mean, you're talking a little bit about how things have been since Dave has uh, stepped out. But how has life been, uh, you know, since that baton was passed? For me? Yeah, for you. Um, it's a little bit of a blur. Like he says, 2019. I'm like, is that 10 years ago? I, you know, it, it, feels, it feels like a long time. Um, but, uh, you know, the challenge, I'd say the challenging part for me was going into 
the transition. I had spent so long on staff. I did have a lot of ideas and thoughts and dreams. And we, I'd spent a lot of time with our chairman of the elders thinking of different plans. And I, and, and, you know, a number of months after the transition, COVID hit and all that stuff kind of got set on the side. And so it ended up feeling a bit like a double transition. Like we transitioned some, then we made it through COVID and then we transitioned again. Like we finished transitioning uh, the role. And so, um, uh, so that, that created some unique challenges and some unique circumstances. But one of the things Dave touched on um, that helped me was um, there were quite a few things in the oven already cooking so that once he transitioned, it was, it was really nice for me to be in the kitchen, pull it out of the oven and set it on the table. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I, I think that um, I was really thankful for that, especially since we ended up having kind of a, this limited time of normalcy uh, before the pandemic hit. That's good. Well, you know what? We're coming to the end already of our part two together. We might have to do a part three at some point. But, um, you know, Dave, you had said that you wanted to really wrap up with something uh, that, that Bob had shared oh, with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and for the Christian leaders who are watching this, thank you for taking the time. And I hope that you're encouraged just to, to start thinking about succession, whether you're 40 years old or whether you're 60 years old. I think it's just good to be preparing and, and mentoring younger folks and pouring into them and giving them opportunities. But um, when I was hired at Southeast, I was 27 years old. Church was running around 3,000, and Bob Russell was preaching 48 out of 52. And uh, and when he would preach, the attendance would uh, stay at that 3,000, but when he didn't preach, it would drop significantly. And um, there weren't teaching teams back then. There was two churches that had somebody that kind of shared a little bit. Um, So it was a rather unique idea for him to, most people would say, this thing is really growing like wildfire. I need to be up front more. And Bob's attitude was, this is dangerous to be built around one personality. I need to be up front less. And um, I guess I'd been here about a year. And one time he was was preaching at uh, Georgetown, college here in Kentucky for a chapel service that they had. And uh, we were riding together and we were yucking it up and laughing about something and just having a great time. And I looked at him and I said, Hey, I said, let me ask you a question. I've never asked you this before. So was it, was it difficult for you to start sharing the preaching responsibilities with a 27 year old kid? And all of a sudden it got real quiet. And he, he looked at me and said, Oh yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, it was very difficult. And he said this, he said, but I had to ask myself a question. Am I at Southeast Christian Church for Bob Russell or am I here for Jesus Christ? And I think that's the question that every person in ministry has to ask themselves, whether they're thinking about succession, whether they're just thinking about, is this a ministry that I need to stay in? Is this the role that I need to be in at this church? I think you have to ask yourself that question. Am I here for for me, uh, am I here to build my empire or am I here to build his kingdom? Am I here for Jesus Christ? And uh, if, if we keep that in focus, then I, I think that some of the problems that sometimes come with succession uh, start to kind of fade away and evaporate. Well, what more can you say after that? 
I think that's a, a great place to end and um, to leave people with. Uh, thank you guys so much uh, for your time, both in part one and part two. This has um, been awesome. Just even for myself as a ministry leader to um, to be able to ask these questions and hear from you and uh, glean from your experience has uh, been really, really helpful. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping we're going to see both of you at the Spire Conference. Yeah, and- yeah Later this year, can you tell us, Kyle? You're speaking. Looking forward to it. Yeah, looking forward Kyle, to it. Kyle's preaching. Yeah. Awesome, Dave. Will we see you there? I will. I will be there, and I can't wait. It's a great chance for fellowship with others, but even more than that, I see it as a great team building experience. Yeah. And one of the things that's happened in the last few years at Spire is now people are bringing their teams, and for those who don't have teams, they kind of just match up with people and they start kind of hanging out with people. It's really a a cool phenomenon, but. I like to go because I'm always uh, touched by the messages and inspired and it's kind of cutting edge stuff that all the speakers are always sharing. So I look forward to it, not just for the speakers, but for the fellowship. Awesome. Same here. I met someone last year or spent a lot of time together because of the hurricane. Um, <laughs> <You got stuck. laughs> we, I mean, we're, we're just miles from each other here in Southern California, but we don't get together that often, but because of the friendship we sparked up at Spire, uh, we just met for lunch a few weeks ago. So uh, relationships are huge. Uh, Spire does a great job of bringing people together. So if you guys haven't registered yet for Spire Conference, make sure that you head to spire.network forward slash Spire Conference to do so. It takes place September 26th through the 28th, and we're excited to see you all there. Thank you again, guys, for being with us. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, Casey. Thanks. Thanks.